University policies. Are they set in stone? Do we get to update them if they are unfair or archaic? If you're considering this type of question today, you might be feeling like David facing Goliath and tend to shrug your shoulders and just accept things as they are. This week, I'm sharing my conversation with Marie McCausland, where she lays out the roadmap of how she led a community effort that led to an increase in parental leave for postdocs at her university. We provided, um, you know, statistics around uh, the paid parental leave at other institutions that, you know, our institution considers their, you know, aspirational institutions or sort of equivalent institutions. So being able to show them like, hey, we're, we're behind these other institutions um, was important um, and was definitely something that moved the needle. But it wasn't until I literally went into that room with them and was like, get us to dog level. Um, that they literally told me, they were like, okay, this isn't a discussion anymore about if we're doing it, let's figure out how we do it. So it changed the conversation entirely. Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. Welcome to this new episode of Papa PhD. Today I have with me Marie McCausland. Marie is a scientist, doula, and maternal health advocate, and is the founder of the nonprofit Mom Effect and DG Doula app. She survived a near-death experience with postpartum preeclampsia in 2017 following the birth of her son, an experience which put her life and work into perspective and changed her career trajectory entirely. Marie has shared her experience through her TEDx talk in 2019, at the March for Moms in 2017 and 2019, and in dozens of talks across the US, aimed at increasing awareness and promoting change. Marie has a PhD in molecular virology from CWRU, a master's in public health from Kent State. She is a CAPPA trained postpartum doula and is currently working on her MBA. She has one amazing son, Jeffrey, with her dedicated husband, Jeffrey McCausland. Welcome to Papa PhD, Marie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's it's a, it's really a pleasure and um it was kind of a, a great like coincidence of crossing paths with you on on this other platform, which is Pitch Club, uh, which actually I can mention in the in the show notes because I think it it could be interesting to to listeners. But um, why we are here today is around this question of being a woman in science and motherhood, and uh, actually, you your experience with motherhood now has expanded to being a doula. Uh, and, a, and a certified doula and, and uh, working on that side of things and really helping moms. But uh, I think we can, we can talk about that uh, a, a little bit later. Um, but the, the, the first thing uh, that I'd like to ask you is, apart from all that I said in this intro, what would be one thing you would add so that people listening uh, learn a little bit more about who Marie McCausland is? Yeah. So, 
the sort of thing that changed everything for me was when I gave birth to my son. So um, after I had him, um, five days later, I had postpartum preeclampsia, which is a condition um, where basically your blood pressure is high and you can stroke or seize or even die. And Mm -hmm. um, I, yeah, so that near-death experience really changed the course of my life and turned me into this maternal health advocate, fierce advocate for Mm -hmm. other moms. Um, And uh, like I said, and like you said in the intro, it really, um, you know, changed my path from what I initially thought of Mm -hmm. always being a bench scientist doing HIV research to now an entrepreneur and doula and (laughs) Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a speaker. So, um, yeah, it changed everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I can only imagine uh, how an experience like that uh, can be because apart from, you know apart from the personal experience of of the possibility of dying, you also you know it comes kind of together with this great or this potentially or this hopefully great experience of having this new person in your life which is your child and i I can only imagine how heart-wrenching and and even for your family and your close ones uh, how difficult it might have been to go through that but thankfully you are here today things didn't go (laughs) didn't go that way and now you're on a mission to help to help people around the uh, around parenthood and motherhood it's it's really inspiring um the title of, 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 or the theme of our conversation is uh, changing university policy around maternity leave, around around motherhood. So it's you know it's a theme again uh, around women in STEM and women who want to have children and uh, who want to to build a family in STEM. And you have uh, you have some advice, or you actually let's say you have some personal experience with that precisely. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so um so I was a postdoc when I found out I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just it was like week one postdoc found out pregnant. Um oh, wow. <laughs> and uh yeah my my PI was like oh okay so that's that's happening. Um mm-hmm. and um luckily he's you know he's amazing. He had just had his grandson. So it was like, you know, he was all baby happy anyway. So I really caught him at a good time. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the policy at my university at the time was uh, for grad students and postdocs and staff only six weeks of paid leave. And mm-hmm. you could take longer. Uh, you could use up your vacation and sick leave and I ended up doing that in order to stay for um, stay home for ten full weeks, mm-hmm. but um, you know, I um, I was really unhappy with having to go go back to work mm-hmm. so early, and the fact that you know, um, you know, we were only getting six weeks, and faculty and staff were or faculty were getting sixteen weeks of leave, mm-hmm. and so. Um, what we wanted to do as um, the postdoc association, because um, our, our university had a postdoc association, we uh, made it a goal to try to change and increase our paid leave policy. Um, okay. So, yeah, 
we we had hoped that we could get it closer to 16 and we were able to increase it from at least six to eight weeks um, okay okay so it's st still you know I, I my you know i've had i have two kids myself and a, a six week old baby is, is <laughs> you know is really uh, tiny is really dependent dependent on on his mom <laughs> a lot yeah. and uh, it's it sounds uh, i know that the policies in the u.s in general are towards the shorter side of things in terms of, of maternity leave but um yeah it, it's uh it only seems because the postdoc is a job right so why why aren't you uh you know why not get the same uh benefits as as other employees um how did that how did those conversations go uh first amongst uh postdocs were there a lot of other uh, uh, moms or moms to be around you that that were living through these uh, these questions and this anxiety maybe yeah so we had i was at the time the committee chair for the um the women's initiative i was the the chair for the women's initiative committee mm -hmm. and so um and we also had a women's center on campus where the staff had been you know trying to push for eight weeks of leave for a long time mm -hmm. um and in the u.s so you know just a little bit of like background in the u.s there is no um paid maternity leave guaranteed to anyone mm -hmm. there is um guaranteed unpaid maternity leave up to 12 weeks for those who qualify for it uh where a, there's a lot of stipulations where it depends on the size of the company and how long you've been there um uh, but no paid leave is mandatory and what we what we decided to push for rather than the full 16 weeks cuz you know we could have mm -hmm. pushed for 16 weeks we thought having it be a little bit more incremental would be helpful um so we decided after you know talking with uh the grad students cuz there was you know grad students who are also parents um mm -hmm. so we you know met with a group of grad students um you know we had the postdocs get together postdoc moms faculty moms um or yeah and the um staff moms and parents really it wasn't just just moms it was parents um because you know we pushed for eight weeks of parental leave um both parents uh, would be able to receive eight full weeks uh, rather than discriminating and only allowing, you know, one parent to get more than the other when the reality is both parents need to be with their children. Um, so we, we actually, we pushed for not just maternity leave increase, but um, parental, parental. Leave increase. So we actually um, changed it from, um, so it was six weeks for the birthing individual and three weeks for the non-birthing individual. Perfect. And we were able to increase it to eight weeks for both. Um, wow. And the way the way that we were able to do that um, is pretty <laughs> is kind of a funny story. So um, so. I had seen on. I think probably Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, the statistics around dogs. <laughs> okay. I'm curious. Yes. Okay. So um, in many states, 
there are laws that prevent you from separating a puppy from its mom um, until they're eight weeks old. Um, and so I actually, I was on the faculty senate as a postdoc rep, and I brought this to them first. Um, well, the whole group of us, grad students, postdocs, and um, staff, but I was the the lead on this. And I was like, so in in Ohio, there's law a law that you cannot separate a puppy from its mom until they're eight weeks old. Mm-hmm. But our institution is making our parents come home at six weeks. So we literally don't even have the same rights as dogs. <laughs> and and so, um, you know, the faculty Senate was like, um, you know, the, the, the women's faculty Senate that I was in was like, okay, we're all on board. Like, let's um, figure out how to um, get this in front of the executive committee, you know, so that okay. means that the president, the provost, um, and the full faculty senate, because they're the ones that basically have uh, get to decide these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and through um, it took several months, but eventually um, I was put on the executive committee's agenda, okay. and I presented this statistic to them. So I was like, okay, so. Again, in Ohio um, and in a lot of states in the U.S., <laughs> dogs <laughs> have more uh, rights. <laughs> get eight weeks with their babies, and you're not let it. You you're giving us six, and mm-hmm. I I literally went, "Can you get us to dog level?" Oh my, okay. It's 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 sad in a way, uh, you know, yes. uh, but it's smart. It, it's smart. It's a smart way to put it because it's so shocking. Now, yes. j- just before you go on, it it seems to me that clearly first you had to uh, uh, have kind of a base of people talking and and finding the messaging. Then there's levels, there's tiers of authority that you need to to escalate to. Exactly. Okay. That's interesting because I guess you're you're the person the first person you're gonna go to you need to be strategic about yes. who that is. Yes. Yeah, so the first people is your peers. You know. So if you're a grad student, go you know to your grad student. You know, faculty. You know, you you're, you're gra- there's usually a um you know grad student committee or something. You know, um you go to them, drum up support, um and um you know work with the other you know, folks who are looking to increase their uh, parental leave. Um, mm-hmm. And for us, that was other, it was grad students, postdocs, and faculty. We were all getting six six or three weeks. And, um, you know, what we did in addition, um, you know, the dog statistic was like the nail in the coffin. What? Yeah, it's what, a shocker. Um, really. <laughs> yeah. And, but what we also did was we provided, um, you know, statistics around uh, the, paid parental leave at other institutions that, you know, our institution considers their, you know, aspirational institutions or sort of equivalent institutions. So being able to show them like, hey, we're, we're behind these other institutions um, was important um, and was definitely something that moved the needle. But it wasn't until I literally went into that room with them and was like, get us to dog level. Um, mm-hmm. that they literally told me, they're like, okay, this isn't a discussion anymore about if we're doing it, let's figure out how we do it. So mm-hmm. it changed the conversation entirely. And that, um, you know, it is a little bit dehumanizing 
Um, but I have to say, uh, you know, this is the same thing that happened um, with um, things like, you know, domestic abuse. So, like, the mm-hmm. first laws in, in the United States were for abuse of animals. So there were laws preventing you from abusing animals in the 1800s. We didn't get child abuse laws preventing that until the 1970s. And then it wasn't until like wow. <laughs> the you know 1990s that we got our first like domestic abuse um, laws. And literally those pre- previous laws about animal abuse um, were used as evidence that, hey, like you aren't even providing kids and adults with with the same sort of, uh, you know, um, protection that you're providing animals. And so it's sort of like using the same model (laughs) as the um, abuse um, ones. And it is a shocking statistic, you know, Mm -hmm. it gets people's Mm -hmm. attention. And uh, just out of curiosity, these uh, model institutions that you were talking about, what does it look like uh, in their parental leave rights? Yeah, so most of them were providing at least eight weeks. Um, okay. Some of them were providing eight weeks for both um, parents. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Some of them were still providing, um, you know, less to the other parent. Um, and But as that was happening, as we were, like, getting this, like, through, um, there started to be some lawsuits being, like, um, uh, taken against having those sort of discriminatory policies where it was like you were providing more for the birthing parent than the non-birthing parent. And so um, they were like, we're scrapping it so that we don't get sued. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so that was probably the more of the motivation. Um, but yeah, that's um, mm-hmm. uh, and the motivation for a lot of institutions. So that's um, you know, something to think that's about, it. too. And I think we actually... We were able to provide, um, if I'm correct, one or two weeks for miscarriages as well. Um, that's that's really really interesting and, and important. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, question: Would that include also uh, mental health uh, uh, resources? That, uh, that because for 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 families for couples who are going through that, it might be important too. For for miscarriage, um, so I think well. For for all of it, um, or even you know, even also our... pre pre postpartum depression, also right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, our institution, you um, would get you know um, uh, mental health services provided through like your insurance, um, and I think they were just starting to have some like fringe benefits where you would have even more sort of mental health services provided. Um, but yeah, those those are definitely <laughs> important as well, um, in addition to having leave, to having those mental health resources. So what I'm getting from, from what you're saying right now is look around at what's happening in the, in, in the space. Because, uh, again, like you were saying, your institution might be looking up to other institutions. And if you bring those examples, it's going to speak to the person you want to, to speak to and to the deciders. Uh, also that historical aspect of seeing how people used arguments like animal rights to bring, to bring uh, uh, rights to humans, which is, it's a bit, it's crazy, but it, it is it, crazy. You know, it is crazy, but it's, it's so striking that it must be super effective. 
I mean, it just, it does suck that you have to like basically dehumanize yourself, you know, to be able to get people to understand the lack of resources and rights that we have as parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is effective. So, so yeah. you can't be afraid to shock your, uh, your stakeholders that you're trying to get to a little bit. Uh, yeah, I was never <laughs> afraid to shock them. <laughs> that might be a me thing, but you know. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, and the thing is, what sounds interesting is how, and, and you know, I'm going on a little bit on a tangent here, but how a culture that, you know, it's kind of an, an arcane culture that comes from behind, people f- with one very uh, striking example, like the the one about animal rights, can be, you know, woken up to, oh my gosh, look at what we've been doing all these years, let's change it now. <laughs> yeah. And and so raising your voice and talking is really the first step, and then uh, it's it's really really impressive. Uh, and, and so in the end, it was eight weeks for the birthing and eight weeks for the non-birthing parents. Yep, that's really really good coming coming from where it was. Yes, yeah. I mean, fathers got an increase of five weeks, um, you know, or non-birthing parents. Um, and, um, you know, uh, the birthing parent got an additional two weeks and, mm-hmm. um, you know, everyone also got, uh, the, I can't remember if it was one or two weeks for miscarriages as well. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, that they would have time to be able to, to heal and recover, um, at least, you know, um, a little bit, um, as well as the, you know, mental health, um, mm-hmm. you know, being able to take off some time when that happens. Very, very, very interesting. So, and that has stayed as a policy because now you're no longer at uh, a postdoc there, right? Correct. But the policy remained, I guess. And is mm-hmm. there is there now like uh, someone who's responsible for getting, you know, moving the pushing the envelope a little bit more, or is that 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 kind of status quo was reached and is now uh, it's now a, a current. Uh, balanced thing yeah i mean i'm not sure i know there um so my husband actually is a postdoc um still at case western and he was on you know a committee uh that was working to make the insurance policies better for families so our um the the prices that parents were paying at my institution at case western were exorbitant i mean fifteen hundred dollars a month um, for, for, um, you know, two people added to your policy and single individuals, single postdocs were paying literally nothing. Um, and so what we did is we, you know, made it, uh, more equitable because the, the reality was because our insurance policy was so terrible, mm-hmm. people who wanted to come to Case Western as a postdoc couldn't. Because they couldn't bring their families. They could not afford to put their families on that plan um, and pay that much. So now it's capped at, I think, 30% of their income, um, which is really, it's on, you know, uh, similar to what the, the faculty and staff were paying. Um, we were, I think they were paying like 40, 45% of their income was literally going to their insurance plans. Um uh, yeah, of my husband's income. You know, mm-hmm, I was mm-hmm. on there because I, you know, had lost, I'd lost my job and, um, you know, and needed, I originally was the one 
it was funny because just, you know, a couple years earlier, my husband was the one who didn't have a job and mm-hmm. I was the postdoc that had, you know, I had all of us on the plan. Um, and then, you know, it switched and, um, you know, uh, we were just paying way too much and they just got that changed. Um, so they, you know, again, worked with faculty Senate, got, you know, a bunch of input from postdocs and it's really about organizing you know, organizing with the other postdocs and, and PhD students to make it what you need it to be. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And find arguments that really speak to the deciders. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very cool. So, okay, th- this is super interesting. I think uh, we've kind of covered the steps that you guys took to get there. And, and it's organizing First, like kind of grassroots, then, you know, bringing it up tier by tier because you need to, you need to be, uh, to have uh, the support of one tier to get to the next tier. That's what I yep. understood, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're the ones who are going to put it on the, the, on the desk of the next, <laughs> exactly. of the next desire. And, uh, and then, yeah, finding the right arguments and, and yeah, being organized. And, um, and I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's really, really cool. So in in last uh, in the last episode about uh, motherhood in STEM and motherhood in university, Krishna was kind of uh, Krishna Kadiala was kind of talking about being a little bit alone in that. And I think uh, the example that you've just shown and 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 uh, told uh, shows kind of a way to make things happen, and it takes more people than than just one. And uh, I think it's uh, it's really really inspiring. Now. So what came after the postdoc then? Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know, so today you're, you have your company, you're an entrepreneur and you are helping uh, parents like, like we mentioned, but there's for sure there's more story in between, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so at the, so when I was nearing the end of my, um, my grant funding as a postdoc. So I had done three years of T32 grant grants. Um, and I was getting near the end and my um, PI was like, I just, I can't <laughs> keep supporting you, you know, try to find something. He knew that I was interested in um, uh, transitioning away from bench to doing more uh, public health. And you know, he was like, you, you don't like being here. (laughs) Uh, And it was true. You know, after I had my son, it was hard to find the passion anymore for doing molecular virology, you know, like, uh, it just literally seemed, I would say to myself, like, this is literally on the molecular level that I'm looking at something and Mm. women are dying. (laughs) Women are dying right now. And I'm sitting here doing a Western plot, you know, and it just seemed like it just made no more sense. Um, And so, you know, I had been trying to apply to different, um, more public health related jobs, but because I hadn't finished my master's in public health yet, I wasn't getting any traction. And so I sort of um, was like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to apply to an industry job. And so I um, applied. I knew someone at a local, you know, biotech company. Um, and that was, you know, that's how you get an industry job is you basically know someone. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that's the reality. Like, that's like, you know, it's networking is 
almost 100% the way you get a job. And so, you know, I was able to, you know, interview, got the job. Um, and <laughs> the person who actually had been the one who recommended me ended up being super abusive and was awful. I was there for three months um, and had horrible experiences, you know, HR, you know, involved, like trying to, you know, do the whole like mediation thing. And mm-hmm. they just basically decided, you know, it'd be easier for us to let you go than to change the culture <laughs> of our institution, which they, of our, you know, company, which, you know, they were like, yelling is in our culture. And I was like, that is not acceptable to me. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was, um, yeah, it was really, you know, uh, so I, you know, I got fired after three months in an industry job, got fired, got a nice severance package because I was like, you're going to give me my severance because uh, this is dumb. And they agreed. Um, and, um, you know, I was able to collect unemployment because they fired me without, you know, cause. Um, cause. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so so that was good. You know, I was able to to get the benefits that, you know, I'd basically paid into for the last decade, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, be able to finally utilize the unemployment and take a breather for a little bit and start mm-hmm. actually um, figuring out what I wanted to do. I wanted to be in public health. And so I was like, let's just go all in. Like, how do I get there? Yeah. <laughs> how do I get there? Exactly. Um, so that's, yeah. that's interesting. And first, I, I, it looks like or it seems like uh, being fired was actually kind of the best things because you don't want to to be day by day in a culture that aggresses you. So uh, it sounds like actually it was the best outcome in, for that specific uh, experience. And so now you, you touched a very interesting point, which is how do you get into public policy? You were at the bench doing molecular virology for all this time. There was this interest. What are the steps you take to start, you know, probing this new space, uh, meeting people maybe, and then and then going into it? Yeah. So, I mean, my my situation is obviously unique, but, you know, as a PhD, uh, you want to learn everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so... My first step was to apply for a master's in public health, <laughs> um, public health. <laughs> or not really my first step, but in 2019, you know, so that was two years after I had my near miss. Um, I applied and got accepted to a master's in public health program. And okay. I wanted to do that because I wanted to really understand why this was happening, um, why the maternal health um, statistics were what they were, you know, in, in the U.S., 700 women a year will die from pregnancy-related, um, you know, complications. 50,000 women a year will will nearly die, like like myself. Um, and that 750,000 don't even take into account uh, suicides, which are actually the number one killer of new moms, um, and postpartum depression, which is the number one complication. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, the... Um, the statistics were horrible, and I really wanted to know uh, what what is the public health field like. What what are people doing? How does it work? Like, what is public health? You know, mm-hmm. that was the the first thing that I wanted to understand. And so, I was lucky to get into a really 
um, great online master's in public health program. That was important for me to have it to be mm-hmm. online and asynchronous because I had a toddler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Can you, can you just tell us uh, and share with the, the listeners which one it is? Yeah, Kent State. Kent State's online master's in public health. I cannot Perfect. recommend it enough. It was wonderful. The professors were amazing. I think in my time there, I only had one class that I didn't like. Um, and, <laughs> well, that's that's you know, a good uh, and, and, betting average. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it, it's a wonderful program. Uh, well, I'll, I'll include it in the show notes for sure, because if someone is listening is interested in public health uh, and, and wants to go look at it, I think... Uh, it's just a good service to to add that in the show notes and and uh, have a yeah, link there. Yeah, and it's nationally, you know, you can you can take the class from anywhere. So mm-hmm. okay, perfect, very good. And so you did your you did your master's. I get I guess you met people also, you know, besides doing the curriculum. And uh, although it was a synchronous, there there must have been some uh, aspect of networking or well, meeting so colleagues or doing doing projects together. So my. So my network is actually more um, through the near miss, you know, network. So I, um, so, so I guess I can back up a little bit. So after, so the reason why I'm here <laughs> is because I read an NPR article the week before my son was born. And mm-hmm. that NPR article, um, NPR and ProPublica, that article was about the, um, life and death of a woman called Lauren Bloomstein, who was a NICU nurse, and um, her husband was a doctor, and she tragically died from postpartum preeclampsia, which was the same condition that I would end up having having a week later. Um, And because I'd read that article, learned about the signs and symptoms, knew that it was deadly, I was Mm -hmm. able to advocate for myself when I went to the emergency room, and they... um, basically wanted to send me home, even though my blood pressure was, you know, at, at one point it was 200 over 115, you know? Oh my. So, um, you know, I was able to advocate for myself and, um, I had seen that article on Reddit. Um, <laughs> and hmm. so I posted, you know, a little bit after, you know, my experience happened, like maybe a week later about how Reddit saved my life. Um, <laughs> and, uh, that got a lot of traction and actually got, um, uh, noticed by the people who wrote the article and so they contacted me interviewed me um and so that started my maternal health advocacy career Mm -hmm. where you know i worked for merck for mothers for a year as their um you know spokesperson so merck Mm -hmm. is you know merck uh you know and they have this program this amazing program called merck for mothers where they dedicate, you know, millions of dollars towards programming across the world to help decrease these horrible statistics. And so Mm -hmm. I was able to work with them for a year. I uh, spoke at March for Moms, did a lot of of public speaking engagements, a lot of writing. uh, And through that, I um, met so many, so many people. And have continued to build up a network based mm. on this experience that I had and the shared experience that a lot of people have had um, around, you know, near miss or or even, you know, tragically, I know a lot of 
of fathers who their wives passed away, um, you know, either due to, you know, complications in, in pregnancy or, you know, from postpartum depression and suicide. And it's, you know, that's how I built my network through sharing, through um, talking to people, through going to these events. And um, it made me, as I was learning and hearing all these stories, it made me want to, like I said, know more. And so I, mm-hmm. I went to school. And then just recently, just in the last six months, I finally decided <laughs> to become a Kappa trained doula, postpartum doula. And actually now I'm getting birth doula training too, um, so that I can help folks in that capacity as well. Um, because I had this, this feeling that even though I know that I've saved lives, I, I don't know how many, but you know, people contact me um, relatively regularly about how sharing my story helps them recognize their symptoms um, mm-hmm. and, and save their life. Uh, I've advocated for policy at, you know, my hospital system, uh, actually on the, the state level as well, where they're actually implementing changes where people are receiving education. <laughs> about, you know, these symptoms and also the the emergency room providers, they're getting better training so that when, you know, moms come to the emergency room, uh, they actually get seen by an OBGYN versus, you know, the same way a dad or or a a guy would, you know, get to see a cardiologist stat Mm -hmm. if he was holding Mm -hmm. his heart. Um, So, you know, changing the the way that um, moms experience uh, pregnancy and postpartum has been um, my goal, but it's sort of at like a higher level, you know, like you don't get to see the impact, right? Um, and so I decided to train as a doula so that I could literally hold their babies while they slept and take care of them and see, you know, see the change in them as they go from being just plain exhausted, like, please, I need to sleep, to like, greeting me in the morning being like, Hey, how was the night? Like, you know, <laughs> like, how are you doing? Yeah. You know, it's just, it's wonderful to know and see the difference that you're making. Of course. If people go to www.dgdoula.com, that's where they find your services, right? So that's one of my yeah latest offerings. So we're building, I'm building an app. Um, okay. And the app will, uh, be a way for parents to access their local village of support. So whether that be doulas, whether that be mental health professionals. um, And, you know, I'm based in Cleveland. So one of the things that we're doing is jointly with DigiDoula and um, my nonprofit, Mom Effect, is community baby showers. (laughs) So we, you know, um, you know, gather donations and, even just buy stuff off of Facebook marketplace from parents who are trying to get rid of their stuff and, you know, need a little bit of extra cash right now because the pandemic, um, you know, buy, buy some stuff from Facebook marketplace and then provide that to community members who need it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, that's really, really cool. Uh, I also, uh, I'm sharing, uh, your, the, the, uh, the handle, the Twitter and yeah. Insta handle for that. It's at DigiDoula app just like that. Uh, but I will share all of this information in the show notes as also I'm going to share uh, the mom effect. Any links that uh, that Marie has mentioned, I will put them 
in the show notes. Uh, you, you, I also mentioned in the intro a TEDx presentation. Yeah. Uh, I can put that also in the in the in the links. Um, now, a, a question uh, because now you're kind of far from uh, research, far from the bench. But, uh, you know, you've gone through that and uh, I'm, I'm sure you know, and you do know, because you, uh, at least your husband is also still a postdoc, people are still going through those those issues and those questions. And uh, we're getting to the end of the, of the interview and I, I just want to know whether you'd have um, uh, a word of uh, encouragement for people, couples, uh, you know, uh, moms, maybe single moms who are in grad school or postdocs and who might after these years of like COVID be going through very difficult things and, and have two years maybe of accumulated uh, anxiety about maybe getting pregnant or not, or is my, you know, uh, how is my pregnancy going to go okay in these times? And uh, am I going to keep my position? Is there something you want to share with, with that listener who's now maybe, more in a situation of anxiety and um, and doubt? So I'd have to say the first thing I'd say is that it's completely normal, especially right now um, in the pandemic, because of the pandemic, to have anxiety or depression or PTSD, um, you know, surrounding, um, you know, pregnancy and postpartum. Uh, so the estimates before the pandemic were that one in five uh, parents would have postpartum or, you know, a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder, like postpartum depression or anxiety. The estimates are that up to 70% of parents oh right now um, have one of these disorders. And so the first thing I'd say is you're not alone. <laughs> you're not alone. This is hard, even without a pandemic. Um, but put on top of that, the anxiety of trying to keep your baby safe when there isn't a vaccine that's available yet um, is really nerve wracking. Um, another thing I would say is that if you are pregnant right now, I know there was a little questionable, you know, question whether or not the vaccine was safe for pregnant individuals. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd have to, uh, you know, I want to encourage folks who are on the fence to get vaccinated because um, the reality is that if you do get COVID, um, if you get COVID, it's much more deadly um, than any potential side effects <laughs> of the vaccine. There's no, um, there's no known um pregnancy-related side effects to the vaccine, but there are um, a lot of deaths um, related to COVID for pregnant moms. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'd encourage them to, to get vaccinated um, if they're kind of on the fence. Um, and, you know, if, if you're trying to figure out if you even want to get pregnant right now, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I mean, it's always a personal decision. I'd say there's, there's never a there's never a great time to get pregnant, you know. Um, there's never an ideal time. I know there was some discussion on whether it's like better to get pregnant in grad school versus postdoc versus faculty. I mean, it, there's there's never a great time. You'll figure it out. Is basically what happens. There's no um, limit to what you can do as a mom um, mm -hmm. and, and a parent. Like once you. Um, have a kid, you have a kid and you're just going <laughs> to, I mean, life happens, you know, you're going to, you know, uh, if that's what you want, do it. Um, and there's people around here, you know, people around you. Um, I'm working on this app to help, you know, build that village 
uh, of, and support system to help you through that transition um, because it is hard. It is hard for everyone, um, but especially in this pandemic um, and especially for parents in STEM who, you know, the expectations are extraordinary. Um, and, you know, in academia, the tendency is to tie your worth to your productivity, um, where productivity is this very narrow thing of papers, um, right? And so um, you need to, you, you'll have to, you know, um, recognize that, like, your work, you know, academia has this problem, but, like, your worth is not tied to your papers. Um, <laughs> productivity mm-hmm. is not only, see, should not only be whether or not you get papers out. Um, and, um, you know, I'm definitely always, you know, available as a resource. Um, if people want to reach out to me, I've got a huge network of people who can basically help you through whatever you're going through. So, I'd like to offer myself. That's exactly where I was going to go just before saying say goodbye to everyone is how do how's the best way for people to reach you? Cuz I know you're on LinkedIn, you're on the on the different social media. Where where's what's the best way if someone who's listening says okay, I need to talk to Marie, how do they do it? Yeah, I would definitely I would say um uh the easiest way would be LinkedIn. Um but you can also um go to, you know, mariemacoslin.com. Um, and, or Marie, you know, email me at Marie McCoslin, PhD at gmail.com. Um, so those are two good, good ways. Um, and they are pretty easy. Um, my LinkedIn is just Marie McCoslin. So it's just my name. Um, and, uh, I can, uh, help you in any way that I can. Marie, that's super generous of you. You've been super generous of, of this time that you were here uh, on Papa PhD and of, of your story, the, the ups and downs. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, it's very, very, the, the take-home message for me for the first part of changing policy at university clearly is get together with other people with a common objective and then take the right steps of escalating the the the, the demands or, or the or, or your arguments to the higher and higher tiers and have very very good and striking arguments based on what's happening in other places based on history uh, I, I really really liked the story of how that how you guys made that happen um, and then on the the maternity side uh, yeah super thankful of uh, uh, of the offer that you are giving for for people to reach out to you because people often go through things thinking they're alone uh i'm thinking of grad school but not only but not thinking that there's a village that maybe exists and that they have not seen or that they can create and i really like this idea of having this app that can help uh, parents create this village which is maybe still invisible to them i really really love it thank you thank, thank you, Marie, you for having been on the show Of course. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic post-grad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas, and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests.